Welcome to Forging Plowshares, a community dedicated to cultivating the peaceful kingdom of God. We hope this part of our ongoing conversation stimulates your mind and challenges your heart about what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Please stay tuned at the end of the podcast for a short message about our ministry. Hi, welcome to the class on Romans, and today we'll cover chapters 12 and 13. I think we need to cover these together because to take 13 out of the context of 12 is often misread, and of course the point of 12 is be not conformed, but be transformed. And so people will often, in fact, picture chapter 13 as some sort of blind obedience to the government. But Paul is obviously about to be beheaded. Christ has been killed. And the point is that we do not, as Christians, allow the world to continually stamp afresh Christians or ourselves with the stamp of this age. This world is passing away. Uh, it may have its purpose, its limited purpose, and but this is not the purpose that is being fulfilled in the church in Christ, in a Constantinian Christianity. This is the confusion that the church and the state are confused, and it's imagined that God is working out redemptive purposes through some sort of Constantinian Christianity. That's not what Paul is saying in chapter 13 or the book of Romans or anywhere else. To, to read this chapter 13 in isolation, then, has given us a Constantinian Christianity in which there is an emphasis put upon the letters of Paul over and against the life of Christ. And what is often forgotten in this is that the whole purpose of Christ then is to establish an alternative kingdom. And Paul is describing this very much so in chapter 12 when he's talking about the church very much in the language of uh, 1 Corinthians that he's really describing salvation, and salvation then is to be brought into harmony into this new body. And so when he talks about being transformed, I think this is, he outlines what this means. Part of this, that he, in chapter 13, he's not changing subjects. He's, he goes through, in fact, the Ten Commandments and says the summation, you know, is the love of neighbor. And in conjunction with that understanding, then he talks about the function of the police state, and he does use the language here of the short sword, that he's not talking about war, or there's no just war theory in this chapter. At a, the most, he's talking about the role of government in suppressing evil, and not referring to war between states, or that Christians should in some way participate in the killing of others in some sort of uh, indiscriminate form. That, that is as far from Paul as can be imagined. In fact, he's saying just the opposite, that the Christian is not to sacrifice the other, he's to sacrifice himself, and that is what he's describing, is the continual sacrifice. You know, what we could ask, well, what gets sacrificed? I think the very thing that people read into chapter 13, violence, uh, alienation, oppression, Paul, Paul is sacrificing that in chapter in Galatians when he says, it's no longer I that live, but it's Christ that lives within me. What gets sacrificed, we might think, is what he's pictured in chapter 7 in the individual, but here in chapter 12, that gets sacrificed corporately. Of course, we do have to negotiate being with the state, living with the state, but at a minimum then, people, if they keep the law of love, and they're not evil, his point is that in normative circumstances, they're going to get along fine. But being saved, then, is being corp incorporated into this counterculture. 
which certainly does not work in conjunction with the state, and that's very often, you know, in the Constantinian Christianity, in the picture of the United States as a city set upon a hill, this is what we often get, that the state is confused with the church. But Jesus is instituting then in and through the particular body of Christ, this is the kingdom, this is the redemptive work, this is God's intervention into history. This is The word culture isn't there because the word didn't exist yet, but of course the idea is that this is the counterculture over and against the principalities and powers. It's not in any way working through those powers. And God is using those powers, but not in that he's ordained them, but that as he can use an evil state like he did with Israel, Assyria, or other states, that doesn't mean that Assyria is his chosen people. The picture here is that government function, he says, and Christian function, they're clearly different. He's describing in the one instance that the purpose of the short sword is that the state would revenge, in fact, that being a minister of God, it is an avenger. But he tells Christians specifically not to take revenge, meaning that the function of Christians, the function of the church, the purpose of Christians, and the purpose of the state are not aligned, that we cannot participate in the one. There was not that even that possibility in the first century, so Paul is not saying don't. In fact, that could be extrapolated from it. Because God is working with the church, not any other nation, to fulfill his purposes or his... I mean, that's what Paul has just spent three chapters outlining, that his enduring purposes are in and through the church. And so, outside of the church, he in some way restrains evil through states, but he's not ordained any particular state or any particular leader. Or, you know, He's not chosen Constantine, Hirohito, Trump. Hitler. God didn't ordain those people. He didn't pick them or choose them. They're not God's minister in that sense. They can be used by God. And of course, the picture is usually that the principalities and powers are in rebellion. That's the history of the world since the fall of man, that these oppressive forces have been in, put into place. That's the human relationship between male and female, but that's also extended into slavery, oppression of women oppression in race, uh, ethnic and religious oppression. And so the whole point of the church is an alternative kingdom to these oppressive kingdoms. In the various wrong interpretations, there would be a series of wrong interpretations that God in some way has providentially brought the particular government that we're under into to existence we can say that he's, you know, even when Israel chooses a king, he says, you have kings that I don't know of. I didn't choose this king. In fact, God didn't even choose that system of government. And so what gets confused is the ordination of the church, the ordination of Christ with the ordination of a particular leader or a particular nation. Donald Trump is not God's Messiah. Hitler not, is not the Messiah. And when that has been confused, that's been uh, given rise to the worst sort of evil in the history of the world. The other is to imagine that we can choose the proper government. Oh, what God likes is liberal democracy, and we can help fight off all those dirty communists in some way, as if Christians should obey one form of government and rebel against the other. No, they're all going to be subject to judgment and God's judgment in the same way. God may use these various systems. He may use one to oppress or, or, or rather to subject another or 
and in fact does use them to uh, uh, oppress Israel or, or to, to punish one nation, to punish another nation. But that doesn't mean that that nation then is his chosen people. It may be that at that moment it's his chosen instrument. Yeah, and so God did not make any human government or even any system of government other than the church. This is what he, he's doing with the kingdom of God. So Paul, you know, is going to be beheaded. Jesus was crucified. Paul didn't believe that the Roman emperor had some sort of mandate to persecute Christians. And so that God, you know, this is sort of Calvin's picture that God uses evil for the good, or this is Christians who say that we do evil, that the good may abound. Paul says, God forbid that you do this. This is a perverse Christianity. And so God is not ordained that Nero would do what he's about to do. And so Paul is, when he's talking about subordination to these powers, he's not talking about some sort of blind obedience. In fact, his whole picture, you know, this is uh, John Howard Yoder's picture that he's advocating a kind of jujitsu sort of subordination. You'll think of Jesus did submit to the powers and they killed him, not because he obeyed them. Paul is going to submit to beheading. He doesn't obey them and quit testifying to Christ. But in fact, this subordination is a way of a, a challenging. Think of you know, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego uh, thrown into the fiery furnace. Uh, there is the, the possibility of opposing, and there's a line that has to be drawn. Now, that's not what Paul's talking about in 12 and 13, but in a strange way, this chapter 13 gets drawn out as if it's some sort of isolated absolute statement. In fact, we could picture the whole point of Christianity as a kind of act of civil disobedience based upon the resurrection of Christ, that the Roman seal was put upon the tomb. You know, Jesus, you stay dead, you stay in the tomb, and the resurrection is, in fact, disobedience. But so, too, is the whole, in the first century, the preaching of the apostles were told to stop preaching. They did not do that. So if you think of how this works and what Paul is describing, he's describing, you know, don't take revenge yourself. That I think this is actually the idiom that he's using, heaping coals of fire. I don't think he's saying, oh, that they'll suffer more. But in fact, by demonstrating this love of Christ, that people will be brought to repentance. And I think that's what the original idiom referred to. Think of Philemon. Paul didn't oppose slavery in the book of Philemon. Directly, I think he opposes slavery. Uh, he opposes that Onesimus would be treated anything other than a brother. Certainly, he doesn't want him to be treated like a slave. And so there is the sense that the kingdom of Christ overcomes the kingdoms of this world, but not from some sort of top-down violence, but by a disempowering. And this is the whole point of the death of Christ, is that the way of oppression, the way of violence, the way of these systems is always dependent upon dealing out death. And by submitting to death, there is the disempowering. In other words, it takes away. And Christians then, by taking up the cross, take away the primary instrument of the Roman state in subjecting people to their oppressive powers. So to be not conformed is in some way going to be able to stand up against the state in that sense. 
In fact, Paul's own teaching is that the state is, it's of Satan, that the, Satan is the god of this world, that, that Paul is just following Jesus. You know, think of the temptations here where Jesus is pictured as the prince of the power of the air, or Paul says that, and that's the picture in, in the Gospels that uh, Jesus is tempted because Satan apparently can offer him the kingdoms of this world because he's in control of them. We have to take into account that the first century Christians did not have any participation in the, the government in any role, and certainly Christians are not called to do military service, that can't be, or police service. Most Christians would have been slaves or Jews and would not have been eligible to bear any sword, whether the short sword of the police or the long sword of the soldier. They did not work for the government and the purposes of the Christians we're not necessarily over and against the government, but we're not in line with what governments do. And that's pictured in the first up to the fourth century that the church is solidly pacifist. And when a soldier or someone became a Christian, this, this created a problem. And of course, this is all complicated when Emperor Constantine becomes a Christian and Christianity becomes a state religion. It may be aggravated even more in the Protestant Reformation is not a departure from that. But in the, in the first century, we have to recognize that the church was persecuted. It, uh, these were not people who held power, and it would have not been concerned with the functions of war, policing, or government. And Christians were certainly not to partake in those things. And certainly there's no just war theory in this that in some way indiscriminate killing and of innocent populations or of anybody that even if you think of the picture of the United States as a kind of police state and that war is a kind of police action. Well, first of all, even if you just take just war theory that you do not kill innocent people, there has never been a war in which just war theory has been carried out. But that's just not the text here, and that, that's just not the justification. I don't think there's any justification for Christians participating in the wars of this world. They will be continuous. In fact, the United States has been the most violent warlike nation on the, in the history of the world, that we've been continually at war in the more, most warlike country in our existence than any other country. And so to imagine, oh, because it's a good government and it, you know, its wars are just, well, Vietnam, go through the wars, you know, Panama, Iraq. You think of Iraq there that uh, Saddam Hussein had a, a system of control, and it was certainly oppressive, and so he was certainly evil, but nonetheless, there was an organization to the society that even an evil ruler puts in place, and I think that that fits what Paul's talking about. Paul's not a fan of Nero. He's not a fan of Rome, but he does recognize that there is a role for the police or for that sort of partaking. And so at a minimum, the Christian should obey the law of love, and that will meet the standard of of the law of the Old Testament, and he goes through in chapter 13 and lists several of the Ten Commandments. If nothing else, you know, at a minimum, if you obey this law, Paul's saying, well, then you'll avoid being subjected to the punishment of the government. And of course, even that punishment, he's not talking about some sort of capital punishment, we don't think. War will always involve the indiscriminate killing of people. Think of, you know, this is the Air Force Academy in the United States that the chapel then is made out of jet airplanes, and then at the front there's a cross, but the, the cross is made into, in fact, a sword. 
that is uh, as close to being anti-Christian as anything. I think that is the Antichrist. And I'm afraid that when Christianity is made some sort of system that can support violence, war of any kind, that it's no longer functioning in the way that Christ or the New Testament pictures it. And so there is no role for violence in the church. There may be a, a role of suppressing you know, in a police state evil through violence, but it, Christians, from what I can read, in, if it, it's not in this passage, it's certainly in other places, that, that's not the role that we're a part of. Our role is to be transformed, to be in the image of Christ, and that's the picture in 12 and 13, to love neighbor, not take revenge. I think that's the heaping of the coals of fire on the head that you actually bring about people's repentance. And so we can think of Christian suffering here and that it may in fact be that we suffer under the principalities and powers of this world in some way. If it's not the government powers, well, then it is the evil powers that, that just control, you know, the principles that control this world. If you think of Philippians, you know, chapter 2, that Jesus submitted himself to those powers. He subordinated himself. He certainly didn't obey them. And so, too, the suffering that we may undergo is through that same sort of subordination. But that in his death and resurrection, Christ is claiming the picture in Philippians is that he's leading a train of captives. And the way that he's taking them captive is through taking away the power of death. And as Christians, we don't employ death to establish the kingdom, but we employ the cross, and that's the the means we persevere, we suffer with Christ. All right, next time we will take up with chapter 14. 14 Plowshares is a community dedicated to cultivating the peaceful kingdom by providing in-depth, transformative biblical and theological education and discipleship. If you have found this podcast valuable, please remember to share on social media. If you have questions about what you've heard, or if you'd like to learn more about how you can get involved with Forging Plowshares or even support this ministry financially, please visit our website, forgingplowshares.org.